pray for Gary as he speaks to us, Lord, that we may open our ears and hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Oh, cool. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a story. Wow, God wrote a book. I remember I posted that on my Facebook page. It's John Piper. Uh, and I'd have to confess, I, I actually shed tears as I listened to that. I know probably a lot of you didn't. But so many times in my life, I go past this book. There is either something to see, something to play, something to do. And I end up thinking, this book on my shelf, I'll give it a miss. And so I walk past it, and it does become a wall instead of a window into God's heart. But I, I hope you enjoy that. I hope you, it challenged everyone that God wrote a book. And because he wrote this book, it's not an easy book to understand. And I'm looking at not probably one of the toughest passages that seem to split churches today. And I want to have a wee look for verses. And I know I've got 35 minutes, and really I'll take 35 minutes if I had a chance on each verse. But we haven't got that. So we will be flying past if we actually get to the fourth verse or, chapter, or verse 6 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we'll be doing very, very um, well indeed if I get that far. We've just come off the book of James. What a wonderful book that was, the book of James. We had roughly between 50 and 55 commands out of that book. I wonder if each one of us, just one command changed our life. It just changed us a wee bit how we looked, how we saw, how we treated one another here. You could take any one of them 50, 55 commands and apply it to your life. And it reminded me of a story. It was a, of a monk many, many years ago in the gladiator times. There was a wee monk and he lived alone. He lived by himself and he had some of God's word there to read. But anyway, he heard a voice one day go to the city, into the Colosseum. And he couldn't figure out why. It was three days' walk, so he goes off to the Colosseum, not knowing but this voice in his head, go to the Colosseum. And he didn't know why. So he went there. He went into the city and there was no one around until he found someone. He says, no, the fighting is at the Colosseum. Everybody is there. And so he goes there, and you know what a Colosseum looks like? This one held around 60,000 people. And in the middle there, in the dusty old middle, men were killing men. Animals were killing women and children for their faith. So he goes down and he stands up the back at the start, sorry, he goes about to the middle and he, he yells out at the top of his voice, in the name of Christ, forbear, which means stop. Now, you can imagine that. Could you imagine me going to the game last night, standing amongst hurricane fans and saying, in the name of Christ, forbear? Do you think that 37,000 would have heard me? Most definitely not. So he gets mocked by a few, and he goes down right to the edge, and he turns around to this massive crowd, in the name of Christ, forbear. But no one listens. So he thought he would do the only thing possible. He jumps into the middle of the Colosseum where all the fighting's going on, and he walks to the middle. And where the emperor was, he yells out to him in the name of Christ, forbear. 
there was silence now. He had got the attention of around 60,000 people. Until one member of the crowd yelled out, run him through, run him through. And so a gladiator came up to him and ran him through, which has put the sword through him. And as he fell to the ground, he yelled out, in the name of Christ, forbear. So he ran him through again until he died, whispering, in the name of Christ, forbear. There was silence and people wondered, now what? What's going to happen now? Until one man stood up at the back and walked out in disgust. On the other side, another man walked out, and within two hours, that Colosseum was empty. It was empty. And it's said in that big city that after that day, that Colosseum closed, and there was no longer any fighting. Here was one man who took the voice of God and went there and obeyed. We have been going through the start of the year since I've been here over 50 commands of God through the book of James. Have we heard any? Has it changed our lives? Because as this man showed, just doing what God wants us to do can change the world if we really set out, if we listened to his voice. I want to praise you more. That song we sung this morning, I want to give you more. And as I looked through the book of James, I thought of some things that I've got to improve on. Do not grumble. Do not grumble. Be patient. My kids can affirm to that. Be good. Humble yourselves. Love not the world. Control your tongue. Judge if you're going to judge. Judge with mercy. Ask for wisdom. Be slow to speak. And instead of just being hearers of this book that God wrote, be doers as well. The book of James. I was watching Francis Chan. It was funny. I was watching him the other day and just thinking of James, this lady. She told her story. Um, well, he told her story. And it was about a woman who had just finished listening as they, their church at Francis Chan's church went through the book of James. And on her way home, she said to her husband, now she was a wealthy woman, her and her husband, they were retired, their kids had left home, they had a massive house and a big pool, and it was great. And they thought, wow, easy street now, he was a deacon, um, she helped out at Sunday school, but you know, they thought they were doing a bit, and it was fantastic. And just hearing the word of James, she says to her husband, stop the car, stop the car. And he stopped, and he goes, what's the matter? He goes, she says to him, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. After hearing that book, God's word, I've got to do more. He says, fine, that's fine. He thought, you say what we're going to do and we'll do it. He thought about a soup kitchen, but it wasn't a soup kitchen she was thinking of. The early, early the next morning, she came to him. She woke him up and she said, God has told me and showed me what I should do. A friend has sent me an email and there was a wee boy in China. He had no arms and he had no legs, and no one wanted him. And she said, that's what God wants me to do. We're going to bring him to America, and we're going to bring him up. Of course, the husband was saying, you know, are you sure? Our kids are gone. Some of you will understand that. Easy street. So they adopted this wee boy, 
In fact, in five years, they had eight children. They adopted eight children, all of them without limbs, all of them taught to swim in their swimming pool. One of them had one leg who was driving their minivan, all because she bought these children from overseas and adopted them all for herself, for herself to bring up because nobody wanted them because she heard God's word. Don't just be hearers, Hukanui, but be doers of his word. I was watching a pro- I watch a lot of TV, I have to confess. I was, I was watching a program on fat people, uh, obese people, excuse me, and, and it was really sad, and I'm certainly not mocking, but it was really, really sad. This, this gentleman, as a young boy, he, he was rather big, but he got teased. And the way he took comfort was to eat, and so he ate and ate, and then he ate so much that people had to, he couldn't walk, so people bought him food. And he got so big, a thousand pounds, that they had to uh, take him to hospital. And when they took him to hospital, they took the wall out because he couldn't go through a door. And they brought a forklift in and they took him to hospital that way. And the sad part about it is he just ate and ate and ate. And, you know, even just studying God's word today, sometimes I think it's a trap, isn't it, sometimes, that we get fed God's word week after week after week after week instead of just doing something when we do hear it. And we kind of get big and lazy to the point we're no good. It's all knowledge up here, upstairs. And I want to challenge us here as a church to not just be fed week in, week out, but to actually do through the week, do something. Don't just be hearers. Let us be doers of God's word. And so from James, looking kind of for me individually, um, commands right through there, we come to Ephesians and the book of Ephesians. And it's such a wonderful book, but more than likely it's kind of centering on the church. So we've come from individual commands now into the church life uh, and looking where we stand and what we should do and the, the things of God here. And, and sorry that the, the children don't have Sunday school because it's quite... You know, it is a bit technical and it is a wee bit theology, if you like, and I normally don't preach on that, but I found this one just so wonderful. And I want to put a bit of a, a thing out there, if you like, a disclaimer. I know what I'm going to say today is not going to please everyone. I know what I've got on this passage. Um, if you happen to see the elders rush away into a corner, I will know to start looking for another job on Monday. But uh, just bear with me as we go through it. And I challenge you to go home and look at it again. I'm not saying that I've got it right, because there are giants here that know God's word far better than me. But I've studied this for a long time, and I've looked at it over the last six weeks, and I've prayed about it. And it's just the conclusion I have got from God's word. And Ross just lovingly came up to me uh, before I came up to speak here this morning. And he said, Gary, I'm following on from you, so it'll be interesting to see how you go. And, I, and that was great, because Ross probably won't agree with what I've got to say in, in some aspects. And I'd like to say to Ross, you know, preach next week as you should, as you see the truth. Um, I will not mind if you stand up next week and say, I, I got a slightly different view on how, what Gary said, 
And he can certainly, with all my heart, I say, Ross, you correct me, because we're dealing with God's word. And it's not, he wrote it, and it's not an easy book. It's a tough book. And of course, these chapters are saying to a guy down south, a lovely godly guy, I've got the great big uh, election, if you like, um, passage here in Ephesians 1. And I told him, and he goes, Gary, pass it. Don't go there. Just, just jump over it and look at adoption. And I said to him, no, no. We're going through the book. We'll go through verse 4. So forgive me if I get it wrong, but this is how I see it. This is how I simply see God's word. He starts off in Ephesians 1. Uh, I know I haven't got 1 to 2, but I just love the way he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have them, that just God our Father. He starts off, Paul, with this beautiful opening. God in one hand, infinitely high and unapproachable. Father on the other hand, intimately near and accessible. And in the middle of these two, from God and Father, is the word, the pronoun our, which links the other two to, together. God, who is unapproachable, is our Father, who is accessible. And that's how Paul starts off. What an amazing start to a book to the church at Ephesus, and I believe to Hukanui. Verse 3, let's read. I've got verses 3 to verses 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, so as I say, we'll battle to get through all, all of them four verses, but we will see what we can do. Philip opened up and uh, told us last week, and I'm going over old ground, that from verse 3 to verse 14 is all one sentence in the original Greek. Paul starts off in praise and blessing God, and he does not stop until verses 14. So it's one. There is no commas. There is no full stops, and away he goes. And I think we've got to remember that as we look through here, that Paul, this is an expression of praise and worship. It's like he cannot control himself. He's just going to go right out and praise God. There is no reasoning behind it in the sense of an explanation. He just goes for it. And this is how he starts off his letter. And so that is the big picture here on the first four verses, or the four, first 14 verses, is one great praise and worship. And that's the big picture to chapter 1, if you like, and we should not forget that. He starts off in verse 3 by calling us to all who know him to bless him, that is, to bring joy to his heart by praise and worshipping him in love. We bless him in praise. He blesses us by sharing us with the riches of his grace. And listen what Paul carries on and says. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in 
Christ. And here we have this massive pyramid of grace. There's blessings here, but not just blessings. There's spiritual blessings, but there's not just spiritual blessings. There's every spiritual blessing. But not just every spiritual blessing. There's every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But it doesn't end there. There is every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice the contrast probably from the Old Testament to the New. Uh, the Old Testament were dealing with Israel and under the law. They were blessed as well. And they were blessed in spiritual blessings some of the time. But under the law, they were rewarded with large families, long life, abundant crops, protection from their enemies. But for the believer, they're spiritual. They're invisible and they're imperishable. So what are these blessings in Christ? Well, John MacArthur, as I was looking up him, he said there was a few. Uh, of course, there's love from Romans 5. There's peace from John 14. Uh, there's joy from John 15. There's strength from Philippians 4. And of course, so he goes into that a wee bit. But there is also being elected or chosen. There's adoption, predestined into his sonship. There is sealed by the Holy Spirit and so on and so on. And probably more than likely uh, for the next lot, if you like, Ross will take up some of them blessings as well. But I love what he says here about our, the spiritual blessings. We have all of them in Christ. God cannot give us more than he has already given us in his son. There is nothing more to receive. Believers, therefore, need not to receive anything more, but to do something more with what he has. And I love that quote. So we have all the spiritual blessings in Christ. We have them all. There is no more to receive. We have them all. So we need, therefore, not to receive anything more, because there's nothing more to receive, but to do something more with what we have. And that's James, isn't it? To do something more with what we already have. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. If we have trusted in his finished work, the moment a man or a woman or a child is in Christ, he becomes the possessor of them all. The theologian Chafer wrote this, to be in Christ, which is the portion of all who are saved, is to partake in all that Christ has done and all that he is and all that he will ever be. In Christ is one of them key verses in Ephesians. There are two positions here in the Bible, in Christ or in Adam. One is saved and one is lost. If you're in Christ, you stand before God clothed in all the acceptability of Christ himself. And to me, that just blows my mind away. When I think what I am in Christ, when he sees me, when the Father looks at me, he sees everything that he sees in his son. I'm accepted just as his son is. That is the believer's position to be in Christ. But we must remember that there is a difference between position and believer's practice. And this is where you'll find Ephesians or other different scriptures which I'll look at, um, which differ. And you, you, you think, hold on, how do I kind of put them together? And we'll look at them. The position which is we are in Christ, and then there is our practice. Two different things. For instance, 
we seem not to reconcile sometimes opposite verses. Like Hebrews 10 says, the believer is perfect. And looking at you, I can know that that's not quite correct in your practice. No offence. Romans 10, we're dead to sin. And 1 Peter, we're a holy nation. That is our position in Christ. But then there is our practice. Matthew 5 said we should be perfect, but we're not. Romans 6 says we should be dead to sin, but we're having problems with it. And 1 Peter chapter 1 says we should be, believers should be holy, but we're not. And you think, hold on. One says we are perfect, dead to sin in a holy nation, and the other one says, well, we should be, but we're not. We should be dead to sin, we aren't, and we should be holy, but we're struggling with it. That's because one is our position, and one is our practice, and they are different. And you'll find in the first three chapters um, of the portion we look at through Ephesians, they are our position in Christ. And the second uh, lot, second half of Ephesians, is our practice, and that's what we'll be struggling with later on. I love, uh, oh, John Phillips told a story of a man who was drunk called Bob in, a, uh, in England. Uh, for once he was, he was sober, and this one time he heard the gospel. And so he uh, came home, he told his wife he had been saved, and he threw the drink away and he touched it no longer. His friends came along uh, a week later and asked Bob, surely you cannot be serious. Surely uh, you can't believe that this Jesus turned water into wine. And Bob told them and looked at them and said, look, I'm not sure if Jesus turned water into wine. But what I can tell you is in my house, he turned beer into furniture. Where light radiates, it brings a change of character and a change of conduct. So yes, our position is in Christ is perfect, and our practice might not be, but it should be getting better. Where light radiates, it brings a change of character and a change of conduct. And so as we go through God's word, it should change us to that day when we get to glory, we will be like him. I like the way William MacDonald says about Ephesians. I've used him a lot this time. He said the first part of Ephesians is the believer in the heavenlies. The second part of Ephesians views the believer in the kitchen. And that is our work. Verse 4, we come to verse 4. Wow, I've lost sleepless nights over verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is the big one, if you like. For me, I believe it shows God's election of sinners unto salvation. I know these words concern some people, and we get a bit tense, and churches have split over it. I'm sure we won't do that here. But they shouldn't. These are words from God. These are words for the church. But moreover, these are words in the context of this passage of praise and worship to God. For me personally, I believe in election. Please don't call me a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in the five points that he gave out, but I believe in biblical election. I was talking to a young man who He's kind of going through and looking at baptism at the moment, not from here, and he 
said someone's given him lots of material on one aspect and some have given him on others and then I gave him on another you know, view on, on baptism and then he texted me and said, like, it's really confusing. I said, well, I'll tell you what you should do. Then just, just leave everything and go through a book like the book of Acts and read it how you see it and believe it how you see it. Just leave all the junk behind and what is God's word telling you? And this is what I find in Ephesians in verse 4. For me, it's just a simple passage of God's election in salvation, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And I think this passage shows it. The nature of election is God's love. He expresses that in verse 4, in his love right at the end. We see it in verse 5, his will, God's sovereign will, choosing is simply an expression of his control over all things. That's in verse 5. And then we see God's glorious grace in verse 6. God did not choose because anything, any good in us. And so we see there his grace. I do believe election through us, through Scripture, there are many. There is Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. There is Israel in Deuteronomy 7. God chose Israel to be the light to the nation. Abraham to lead a nation. Moses, Jeremiah, David, the king. The New Testament, Jesus chose the 12 in John 15. Paul, he chose Paul. And he also, praise God, chose the fools of this world to shame the wise. And so that's how I see it. But I want to just add a wee bit more. You might think now I'm going to jump and sit on a fence here, but it's not at all. Does this truth then stop us evangelizing? Well, I read a passage through uh, the greatest evangelist who was a Calvinist, which was Charles Hayden Spurgeon, and someone had wrote um, that despite of what he believed, he was a good, a good evangelist. But someone else wrote, it's because of what he believed that God used him as probably the greatest evangelist. I find it funny because in Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11, we have God's sovereignty and God's election, and both of them that I see. But right in the middle, in chapter 10 of Romans, we see man's responsibility. And we see Paul saying that God's will is that for all men to be saved. All men. So in 9 and 11, election, God's sovereignty. And then in chapter 10, we have God's free will. And so I ask the question, does the Bible's teaching on election, does it teach about man's free will, man's responsibility? Well, I believe it does. I believe the Bible does teach man's free will. The doctrine of election gives us no excuse not to trust in Christ and no excuse to be saved. God makes a bona fide offer of salvation to all people to all people. In John 3 and 36, he says that. And in John 3 and 16, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I had a friend, a Calvinist friend, and that's all right, I have them too, that came up to me and he says, oh, Gary, John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world. He says, do you realize the word world there is only talking about God's elect? I said to him, you're having me on, aren't you? And he says, no, no, that's, that's what we believe. And I says, okay, can I put this to you? I said to him, 
In Matthew 19, we have the rich young ruler. We knew three things about him. Of course, he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And he comes to Christ with one of the most important questions ever. What must I do to be saved? And of course, the Lord tells him about the commands, and it's like the rich young ruler stopped him. Yes, 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 I've done them all. I've done them all. So then the Lord says, okay, fantastic. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me, says the Lord. And so the Bible says that this rich young ruler went away sad, sorrowful. Why? Because he was wealthy. And the Bible gives us the impression that he went and he did not come back again. I said to the, did he come? Well, no, he didn't come back by the looks of things. We don't know, but more than likely, Scripture would have taken it up surely that he did to change his mind and come back. But it doesn't. He left. I said, so how do you then, and the, the, same, the same story in Mark 10, when this rich young ruler came to Jesus, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And here was a man who rejected Christ. So you cannot take John 3 and 16 and say the the world there, God so loved the world, is just for the elect. To me, that's nonsense. To me, God so loved the world, everyone in it. Revelation 20 talks about a great white throne. And I saw the great and the small standing there before him. They're going to be judged. Why are they going to be judged? Because they have not accepted Christ. And they will have no excuse They will not come up to the great white throne and say, you never chose me. That is not an option. That is not an option. I went to my computer and I looked up Bible verses on Bible.com for all the Bible verses on God's sovereignty. Over 150 came up. So then I typed in Bible verses on election, 98 came in. Then I typed in Bible verses on man's responsibility or free will and 62 came up. And that's why for me, I don't sit on the fence here. I just believe that God is so great, so that I cannot take him in, that somehow he chooses us to salvation, and somehow we have a responsibility to choose him. And for me, it's just not fence-sitting. For me, it's biblical. And I know I can be taken to task by greater men than myself. But the sad bit is about John 3 and 16 and my gentlemen, if you are really strong on one of free will or you're really strong on God's election, we end up starting to twist sometimes scripture to suit what we believe. And for me, I just, I just don't want to do that. I know I probably do it without even thinking. But that's what I think. I believe the Bible teaches both. It's just for me. I cannot grasp it. You know, I love that wee passage, one verse. John 6 and verse 37, it says this, and this for me, it just sums up election and God's free will in one verse. John 6 and verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's election. But in the same verse, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That is free will. My friend John Lennox, who is probably one of my favourite uh, kind of speakers on apologetics, was speaking to 500 physicists. 
and it was the subject on science and religion. And uh, because he's, he is a Christian. And so one of the top physicists come up to him afterwards and says, I perceive that you are a Christian. And John Lennox says, you have perceived correct. And so he goes to him, the physicist said to Lennox, how can it be that a man of your, your brightness, he's actually the senior lecturer at Oxford University in mathematics, how can it be that you, Mr. Lennox, believes that Jesus was both God and man? How can that be? And so John Lennox says, well, before I answer that question, could I ask you a question? He said, you being a physicist, can you please explain to me what energy is? And the physicist said, well, actually, I know what it does. I know the outcome of it. And Lennox said, no, no, not the outcome, but what is it? What is the nature of energy? And the physicist said, well, I don't know. And no one knows yet. So Lennox said, well, I've got an easier question. What then is consciousness? And the physicist said, well, nobody knows that either. And so John Lennox said, well, you want me to try and let you understand the nature of God when you as a physicist doesn't even know the nature of energy or the consciousness. And he said, so it is, John Lennox said, so it is with God's sovereignty and man's free will. Bible teaches both. One day, the other side of this world, I'm sure we will come to understand how this operates. But at the moment, God wrote a book, and I am still trying to understand as best I can all about it, all the ins and outs, and I'm sure we'll need eternity to think upon his words and understand them. Five minutes, we've got to verse, we've got to verse five. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons in Christ Jesus to himself according to his good pleasure of his will. Here we have the word predestined. Virtually just means to be marked out or determined beforehand. And so as we've thought about salvation there in verse 4, Paul carries on, still with his praise and his worship in mind, that we have been determined beforehand, that we're not just saved. We're not just, yep, our sins forgiven, great, we're saved. That question answered. God goes further. He brings us into his own family. And this is what the adoption into sons means, sons and daughters, if you like. We are adopted into his family. And I think that's just, that's just amazing to think that he loved us, he gave himself for us, we are his, but he'll go a step further. He'll bring us in to his family. That is, we now have all the privileges, all the responsibility of sonship in Christ. And that's why we, can, we come and we read and think of what Paul, how he even opened up. God, our Father. We come in to, to really into his family that we can now call him our Father. And that is why we have all the spiritual blessings uh, found, sorry, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. No wonder, no wonder Paul worships and praises him to the glory of his grace. My time's up.
So just quickly to the praise of his glorious grace. We're recipients of his grace, that is us, but the channel of his grace is in his beloved, as verse 6 ends with. We have his grace, that is for us, but the channel of his grace is in Christ. Man, what a wonderful, wonderful God we have. So I'm just going to, I hope I didn't complicate you or complicate things there. I didn't sit on the fence. I hope people could claim that. But I just think as we watch that video, God wrote a book and it's a wonderful book and he is a wonderful God. And I will confess, I do not understand all of this book or all of him because his ways are so much higher and his thoughts are higher again than mine. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for that privilege this morning we had of remembering the promises of God and your lovely Son, the Lord Jesus. We think of him and that promise that we only did that until he comes again. We thank you so much and we just want to say, as your family, as we thought of adoption into your family, that we love you. Please help us serve you and walk with you because your word is so precious. Your son is even more precious than gold or silver. So Father, help us this week. Read your word. Maybe it'd be time to read James again and then go in as Phil asked us to, to challenge us to read the book of Ephesians. May it be a blessing to us. I'm sure it will be if we just bow our hearts and just read it simply and do what it says. So thank you, Father, for this time again. In the Saviour's name, amen. Amen.